Hello once again. So uh, for those of you who weren't here, um, if you're wondering why I've got this deep southern accent, uh, it's because I live in Atlanta, uh, which is where our office is. And so a little bit about Creation Ministries International. We actually have offices in seven countries around the world. Atlanta's our US-based uh, office. And um, I was telling to Pastor Kevin before, you know, like before COVID, the year before COVID, we spoke in over 330 churches in the US alone. So our ministry is focused on coming to you, families in the church, to bring you this information. And that's why you see some of the books out there. Let me just say, uh, I'm not here to sell you a bunch of books today. I mean, that's not how we fund our ministry. We're actually faith-funded by mums and dads like yourself so that we can conduct, if you like, this outreach to the church to get information into your hands. So you know, and Pastor Kevin will tell you, we don't even ask for a set speaking fee. Uh, we come out by faith. So when I say information, what do I mean? Well, we kind of call ourselves an information ministry. And um, so what, what are we talking about when I say that? Well, let me ask you some questions today, all right? Maybe you've been witnessing with a friend at work or a colleague, and you talk about the Lord Jesus. Maybe your kids come home, your grandchildren ask you questions. Just, well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He's the creator and the savior. But then they come back to you with questions like, yeah, hang on, but if the Bible's true, right, we all started from Adam and Eve. Tell me who Cain married. You ever had that one? Or if we all started from Adam and Eve, uh, you know, where did the different races come from? As people think there are such things as races. There's one race, by the way, the human race. Dinosaurs, as I said, most asked questions. We answered that in the Sunday school hour. Or what about this, ladies and gentlemen? If God is a God of love, why does he allow bad things? Why is there death and suffering? Well, that's probably the number one question we get. Have you ever had questions like that? Well, just do me a favor, just as an illustration, if you've ever received or had questions like that, just pop your hands up nice and high for me to see. Now I want you to look around. Keep your hands up. Go on, do me a favor. Look around. <laughs> As over 90% of you, I would estimate, probably raised your hands. And here's the thing, I only asked you four questions. People have dozens of questions in this area, and those questions are intellectual stumbling blocks for them in believing the truth claims of the Bible and who Jesus is. So that's what we do. And one of the great sources of information is our website. The lead article changes every day. Our ministry's been in operation for over 40 years, so basically it's about 40 years worth of information on there. You can type into the search engine, you know, what about radiometric dating? Uh, and you'll get questions all absolutely free on there. And here's the web address. I mean, that's a really hard web address to remember, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, you know when, when you're watching National Geographic on the TV and they say, wow, look, we found this fossil, well, it was a few years ago, they found this cave in Africa with over two dozen fossils they believed were the ancestors of modern humans. And it's difficult because you say, well, look, I'm looking at the fossil bone, there it is. And again, they make those claims around it. Well, guess what? Within three days, we have an answer on our website to help you and your families to equip you. That's what it's all about. So in a moment, I've got some volunteers. They're going to pass around some sign-up sheets, and we're going to do this a couple of times. And so understand, I want to connect you with information, and it also just saves you lining up at the book tables where it's going to be very busy later. But uh, you probably saw my desktop. You see the big crocodile there? Not a real one, um, but uh, two of my children on there. That was taken at Steve Irwin Zoo. Remember him, the crocodile hunter? Uh, his zoo was just a couple of hours north of where I lived in Brisbane, Australia. But when he was killed by that stingray, okay, lots of people contacted us on the website, including Christians, and said, well, if God is a God of love, why did he design stingrays that kill people? I mean, how would you answer that? I mean, it might sound silly, but, you know, for someone who's not raised in the church in particular, they see nature as, as ferocious and vicious and dog-eat-dog. So we wrote an article on that called The Stingray of Death. We just put a link in our free email news, sent it to folks like you on our mailing list. And the reason I chose that particular one is because within 10 days, through you sharing it, it became the most visited article ever on our website. So we have a claim in the news that garners attention, and Christians, guess what? We had a response. 
So you equip yourselves and your family, and then you use it for evangelism. So in a moment, uh, we're going to pass around these, and if you want to get our free email news, just your name, whoops, your zip code, right, your email address, obviously. And of course, if you want to unsubscribe, you can take yourself off. So they're going to come down the front, and they're going to pass some boards, and if you would pass them along and back at least one row, and could you do me a favor when you're finished, hold them up nice and high until they pick them up off you, because we're going to need them again at the end. And while that's going on, I'll get on with the major talk. So I said earlier that this is not really about science, it's about history. And I would like you to look at these two trees, in particular, if you'd look at the screen. There are two worldviews, basically. And the tree on the left there, you can see, is called humanism. Now, what does humanism mean? Humanism simply means man decides truth for himself. Ladies and gentlemen, notice what that tree is planted in. The soil of evolution. Evolution is a concept that says 14 billion years ago, there was a big bang. And you know what? You and I are just a giant cosmic accident. Now, if somebody subscribed to that worldview, what type of fruit do you think they might produce? Have a look at the tree. Racism, murder, gay marriage, abortion. And you might look at those and say, oh yeah, they're problems we're dealing with in the church. But I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, they are not the problems. The reason I depicted them as trees, and the Lord Jesus spoke about trees producing certain types of fruit, is they are the fruit of a foundational problem, humanism with its roots in evolution. You could call them the symptoms of that problem, if you like. Now contrast that with the tree on the right-hand side, Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, everything you and I need to know about the Christian faith, the nature of God, our fallen state... Someone tell me, where do we get that information from, please? The Bible. God's Word, His revelation to mankind. And if you subscribe to that, if you believe that, well, guess what? We should produce fruit in accordance with that. Okay, we'll believe in the sanctity of life. Abortion's wrong. Why? Because human beings are made in the image of God. Okay, we'll believe it's one man for one woman. Why? Because that's what God made. He ordained what the family unit was going to be when he made the first man and woman and told them to fill the earth. What about loving one's neighbor as yourself? Who's your neighbor? Well, it's every single human being. You see, evolutionist Darwin in particular, by the time of his second book, he thought that the so-called dark-skinned races were closer to, if you like, the primitive evolutionary scale. Completely wrong. Modern science shows that. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, do you know what? We're in the genetics revolution. Listen to this. When we take the entire population of human beings on this planet, we are 99.9% genetically alike. The so-called differences that you and I notice are just shades of a skin color called melanin. We all have melanin content. And so scientifically it shows that all humans could have come from an original human couple because we are all so closely related. I told you it's an exciting time to be a Bible believer. But ladies and gentlemen, why do most people believe in evolution? Well, this might sound a bit cliched, but I, I have to reinforce it here because that's all people are taught. I'm a former evolutionist, like most of my scientific colleagues in the ministry. And look, you know, tomorrow in the public schools and the colleges, it's not perhaps or maybe they will be taught evolution. They will be taught evolution as a scientific fact. So if we know that in advance, shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't we be preparing our children for the potential onslaught that they're going to face? And can I say to you, in this area, evangelism starts at home because we need to find out exactly what our children are being taught. And you know, I said I was a former evolutionist. I got saved. Yes, you can be an evolutionist and be a Christian. You can be an inconsistent Christian. But immediately, because of what I thought was the science, I tried to fit evolution in the Bible. Read. Just down here, there's some boards. Evolution in the Bible. I tried to add the millions of years to Scripture. 
And I said, well, you know, maybe it's really not that important in the beginning. And these are the stories we hear all the time. But let's look, look at this out. Is it a side issue or not important? I hope you can see that up there. But do you know there are over 100 references to the book of Genesis in the New Testament? And specifically Genesis 1 to 11, that's talking about creation, the fall, um, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and so on. There are 60 references. Listen to this. Every New Testament author references Genesis 1 of 11, and every Genesis 1 of 11 chapter is referenced in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus himself referenced Genesis 1 of 11 on 16 occasions. He talked about a real Adam and Eve, I showed you earlier, a real flood of Noah's time, global flood of Noah's time. So clearly they thought it was important referencing it so much. Why? Because what we call most of our church doctrine if you like, has its foundations in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And so they built their doctrine upon it because they believed these were real events that happened in real history, in real time and space, uh, etc. And so evolution says, and here I've kind of caricatured that tree. I don't know if you can see it at the bottom, but there we are. They would say, you and I were just evolved pond scum. Makes you feel kind of special today, doesn't it? Millions of years of death and struggle, survival of the fittest, adds to, leads to your average civilized human being at the top of the evolutionary tree. They call that the tree of life. See any life happening there? It's actually a tree of death, isn't it? Culling out the weak, getting rid of the unfit, the strong survive. So much for blessed are the meek. You see, the Bible has a very, very different view of how death came into the world. Is it was a result of our rebellion to our creator. But here, death is a good thing, right? And, you know, as the leading evolutionist will say, yeah, life's tough. You live, you die, the unfit get knocked out. Just, that's, that's it. Get used to it. And that's how they are. They're very unsympathetic in that regard, many of them. Well, I said it's about worldviews. And I know we've heard that word a lot. But what is a worldview? Well, a worldview is basically like a set of glasses, a lens or a filter through which we interpret all reality. And in my experience, I have over 30 years, ladies and gentlemen, our children, by the time they can kind of reach that age of understanding, they've already developed a worldview for themselves. And the non-Christian worldview says, as I've said there, death, suffering, disease, it's always been with us, that's the way life is, and so that's how you would interpret the world. But let me do an example here of how I can illustrate this is very important. You know those three big questions everybody talks about in the church and even outside the church, and they go like this, where do we come from, why are we here, and you know, what's our meaning and purpose to life, and the last one is what happens to us when we die. Are you familiar with those? Well, let's do it under these two scenarios. You know, if evolution is true, where we came from, tell me, is there any meaning and purpose to our lives ultimately? No, you live, you die. What about life after death? Nothing there, is there? <laughs> you say, now what about creation? If God is creator, well, you and I were created with meaning and purpose, as I said, made in his image. And by the way, the decisions we make in this life are going to affect where we spend eternity. That's the answer to number three. Now, the reason I did that, can you see, actually, in both scenarios, the answer to question one will determine what you think about questions two and three. <laughs> ah, can you see how creation, evolution, this origins issue, why I'm saying it's such a foundational issue? It's the very foundational issue that causes people to develop their overall worldview. And I have to give you some bad news this morning before I start giving you the good news to help us understand there is a problem. And uh, some of you may have heard, I know Pastor will have heard of Barna Research. They're a Christian research organization, been surveying the church for many years. Some years ago, they did a confidential survey of Christian teens in the church. This was cross-denominationally across America. A confidential survey. So those children were encouraged to give truthful answers and, you know, not be basically held or found out for their answers. And it was quite shocking because Barna found out the Christian teens, these are kids sitting in our families, in our pews, they said that only one in three of them intended to continue attending church when they left home. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? 
and I'm going to show you later from first-hand experience how uh, I, what was the major reason for that. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be that way, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to show you the good news. So let's lighten it up a little bit. You know, here's some students, and one says to the other, that science, you seem a bit down. That science class of yours went for ages. What happened? Well, teacher says we're nothing special. We came from pond scum. We're just evolved apes. And she asks, so what are they teaching in your next class? And she replies, self-esteem. <laughs> Many a true word spoken in jest, right? So what are we going to do about the science? You know, we hear the word evolution and science. You know, do we have to kind of park our brains at the church door on Sunday morning and forget about the real world? Well, it's actually very hard, and I'm not just playing fast and loose with words, but you talk to a bunch of scientists, they'll have different definitions. But in this area of origins, I think we can distill it down to what we might call two types of science. The type of science, when we hear that word, you and I commonly understand, we would call operational or experimental science. That's different to alleged events that happened in the past, both creation or evolution. Let's have a closer look at it. Operational science deals with experiments you can do in the present. You can observe them. You can repeat them. You know, today if I said, well, let's do an experiment to test the boiling point of water. We could do it today, tomorrow, keep getting the same results, and we discover it boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees Celsius in the proper language. But anyway, <coughs> um, so when I do that, I notice something. Steam escapes. And then we develop this hypothesis. Well, let's capture that steam and we could drive a wheel and you know, suddenly start some power generation, something like that. So that's the type of science we understand, building upon the former. It's how our technology gets better over time. But what about the idea that ape-like creatures evolved into humans two million years ago? Did anybody see that? Can you repeat it? Can you test it? So it's not the type of science that you and I commonly understand. You know, I was in a church in South Africa some years ago. I like to tell the story of my first visit, and uh, the Christians had brought along this young, young non-believer. He told me he was an atheist. And as soon as I finished the meeting, I can still see it, he bolted down the aisle and got in my face, you know, and he was super angry, and he, he said, you're misleading people. He said, the very type of operational science you suggest proves that the earth is millions of years old, he claims. And I said, why is that? He said, fossils. Fossils take millions of years to slowly form. Well, I showed him this picture here. I hope you can make it out. This is an extinct marine reptile known as an ichthyosaur. And what's really neat about it, there's the baby coming out of the birth canal. Now, my wife, ladies, listen to this. With our first child, my wife was in labor for over 35 hours. We lived in a rural part of Australia, and we had to get her up on an air ambulance called the Flying Doctor to a big city, which is why it took so long. 35 hours, a long time, right? But could you imagine slowly giving birth over millions of years while you were slowly being fossilized in this poor fish? <laughs> of course, not a reptile. So... Do fossils take millions of years to form? Well, according to the evolutionists and the textbooks, which, by the way, are being shown at elementary age now in this country, and I'm, kid you not, absolutely serious. They're exposed to what I'm about to show you. This is from my grade 11 biological science textbooks in Australia. And you can see the fish swimming on the left-hand side, and then the arrow says he dies and he sinks to the ocean floor. Now... Of course, I just believed that for many years and accepted it, but I gave you a clue in the last talk. Anybody see the first mistake there? Well, fish generally don't die straight away, don't sink to the ocean floor straight away when they die. I mean, likely they're going to float, but very quickly they're going to get eaten, predated. The carcass would sink to the bottom, and then the crabs and the crustaceans and everything else gets to them. I mean, you'd be lucky if you got a piece of backbone left after a couple of days, right? But notice what they're saying. Look on the right-hand side. While that fish there is lying on the ocean floor, or even its bones, and remember I showed you a fossil that showed the fins and the scales and everything, but let's give them say, well, well there's some bones there. Look at these high mountains in the middle. Look what's happened on the left-hand side. They've eroded. Okay, the water carries out a little bit of sediment at a time and it buries the fish and then it starts again and that's how we get that picture of that geologic column that we see adorning our textbooks. 
Boys and girls, that's called uniformitarianism. They use the erosion rates they see today and presume that it was always that way in the past, and that's where we get the hundreds and tens of millions of years from. But how do you get a fossil, ladies and gentlemen, like that using that process? Remember I said before, it's about rapid preservation. So what you need, here's old Freddie Fish, oops, swimming along. You're going to need a lot of mud and a lot of water and a lot of sediment in a short amount of time. You can bury the fish quickly in those layers and before long you can get yourself a rapid fossil. <clears throat> now you might say, well, hang on, Gary, that's a bit simplistic. Yes, things can be buried quickly, but the process of fossilization, which is technically called permineralization, that's what takes millions of years, you know, where the organic material is slowly replaced and turned to stone. Well, I gave you an example uh, in the last talk, but here's another one. This is a fossil hat. This was buried, in fact, at a, in a volcanic explosion in New Zealand. This cabin was buried and this hat, along with other artifacts. 20 years later, they found the ca cabin, uncovered it, and this soft felt bowler hat had turned into a piece of solid rock in less than 20 years. You see, you just need the right set of conditions, the right cementing conditions to get yourself a rapid fossil. I suppose you could say it evolved into a hard hat or something like that, right? But anyway, um, here's one from my home state of Western Australia, the solid rock ring exposed in the sand at low tide. And uh, owner of a trailer park, he noticed it. He shipped it down to us. Uh, Perth was Western Australia's capital where I lived and we broke it open. Before I do, anyone want to have a guess? What do you think it was? Be brave. Now, lots of people say a tire, but look, we broke it open. It's a roll of fossilized fencing wire. Can you see the individual strands? And you remember when the workers were going through, throwing the old rolls in the ocean, hoping they would decay. And they were so precisely fossilized, we could still measure the gauge of the wire, number eight gauge. You just need the right set of conditions to get a rapid fossil. And then what about this one here? A family uh, wrote to us and they said they were walking along a beach and they noticed this rock was a little different to the others and they kicked it over and got a surprise because inside the rock was a toy car. Hmm. So fossils can form quickly under the right conditions, rocks can form quickly under the right conditions. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to show you it's the rocks with the fossils in them that suggest the earth you know, there's evolution being taken place for hundreds of millions of years upon the earth. By the way, I hope you notice my subliminal advertising up in the corner with these. Um, <laughs> all this comes from Creation Magazine, which I'm going to tell you about at the end. Completely uh, no advertising in it. There's a children's section again, so hand on heart, we can recommend it to you. But do you remember I said last time, creationists, evolutionists have the same facts. We've got the same rocks and we've got the same fossils. How, do, how is it we interpret them differently? Well, here's a really important point, ladies and gentlemen. In my experience, when I go to churches, most of us don't believe in evolution. But, you know, I, I, I'm not really sure. You know, these creationists say thousands, and we get that from the Bible. <laughs> and, you know, scientists say the earth is 4.5 billion years old, and the rocks are hundreds of millions of years old or something like that. Well, that's a little bit difficult to see, but I'm going to use the Grand Canyon because it's something we're familiar with. But up here in the canyon, you can just make them out. There are bands of rock layers called strata. Some are light, some are dark, and you can see they kind of alternate and in between. Now, some of those bands are comprised of what we call sedimentary rock. And that means, as I showed you before, sediments are washed down and, you know, by water or wind, and then it settles. And you're really thin, maybe one or two millimeters thick, and then that's a year. And then next year, the same thing happens. And so when you look at the Grand Canyon and there are 500 million layers in there, that's kind of how they derive the age and say, well, we're looking at 500 million years of history. And then, of course, you've all heard stories about the Colorado River winding its way through the canyon and eroding it over tens of millions of years, right? Looking at current erosion rates today. Well, I'm going to show you something. It's been around for a long time, so some of you might be familiar. But what I'm about to show you converted me from being an old earth evolutionist into a Bible-believing creationist. 
and they were, this was the events at Mount St. Helens in Washington State. When this volcano exploded, it was one of the most well-documented, catastrophic events in modern history. T film, uh, video cameras were there, TV cameras were there, and the mountain was swelling. So, you know, you could see it venting at the top, and they knew it was going to explode. There were many earthquakes going on, and when it did explode, it didn't blow its top. It blew its side. Still like that today. There's a little new lava dome growing in the side of it, but... It was massive. It blew lumps of rock as big as a city block over six miles from the blast site. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, do you know what? When we consider geologic events like this that have happened in Earth's history, this is just a baby, just a small event. And in the aftermath of the initial eruption, it laid down bands of strata, just like we might see at the Grand Canyon. Here's the three separate bands. I don't know if you can see there's a lady down there for scale right at the bottom. But this middle section here, you could just make them out. Very, very fine laminations, sedimentary layers. There's about 21 uh, uh, foot thickness there. And we're told, or you would have believed rather, because of the thousands of layers, if we hadn't known, that it might have taken thousands of years to lay them down. Here's a close-up. Do you remember I told you like one per year is the conventional view? So how long did it take to lay down that 21-foot band of sediment there, that, that band of strata? Well, it took precisely three hours on June 12, 1980, as a result of the catastrophic events of Mount St. Helens. There are the bands for the other two, the top one there being a giant mud flow. So when you go back to Mount St. Helens today, there are canyons all over the place. This canyon is called Engineers Canyon. You can just make out the river running through it. It's called the North Fork of the Toodle River. And just instinctively, when we even look at that, I suggest that we probably think, wow, that little river must have ebbed and flowed for a long period of time and eroded the canyon. But the reason it's called Engineers Canyon is Army Corps engineers diverted water from nearby Spirit Lake that had overfilled from the volcanic eruption into this area and they eroded that canyon out in just a few months. And don't think the material was kind of soft and just washed away. The floor of the canyon there is solid basalt. That's hard volcanic rock. And you can see what are called striations, which is the scouring, you know, the scratched rock surface where it's been eroded by fast-flowing mud, water, and sediments. You see, you don't need all right, slow, gradual processes to produce this type of geology. It's not a little bit of mud, a little bit of water, a little bit of sediment over a long period of time. It's a lot of sediment, a lot of water, a lot of mud. Over a short amount of time can do an incredible amount of geologic work. Oh, and by the way, do you notice something here? The canyon was created before the river, not the other way around. <laughs> See? By the way, if I just go back there, up in the top left-hand corner, you can just make it out a little side canyon. That one there is called Little Grand Canyon. There's a picture of it. It's not so little. It's actually a 140th scale of the Grand Canyon. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that one took a few months to carve out, but um, actually that was formed in less than 24 hours as the result of a giant mud flow. Just ripped that canyon out 24 hours. Catastrophic geologic processes. You see, there's that picture of the geologic column we often see in our textbooks, and down the side here we've got all these epochs of time, and these are supposed to represent it, be represented by the geologic strata, and then we have fossils in them, dead things, creatures that once living, now dead, being fossilized in that strata, so they say, here's millions of years, and therefore this is a record of biological evolution upon the earth over that time. Well, I mentioned earlier, is there an event in the Bible we can look at that we think may have laid down some of these rock layers catastrophically and perfectly preserved some of those organisms in there? I mean, it involves a lot of water. What am I talking about? <laughs> the flood. The globe-destroying destro flood. And ladies and gentlemen, tell me, how long were the floodwaters on the earth? Anybody know? Well, no, it was actually... 40 days and 40 nights of rain, but the floodwaters were on the earth for a year, 12 months. I want you to think about that. The whole globe covered with water. I mean, the moon is still there. So you've got all these tides 
dragging all that water backwards and forwards, scouring the continents, shedding their layers off, sediments depositing elsewhere, and then the runoff from the flood, carving canyons out. I mean, it's just hard to imagine the incredible amount of geologic work. So if most of those layers, you know, could have possibly been laid down during the 12 months of Noah's flood, where did the millions of years just go, ladies and gentlemen? Can you see how there's a massive disconnect now? The millions of years comes from the rock layers, but they could have been laid down in a year. <laughs> and by the way, if there's no millions of years, guess what? There's no time for evolution to happen. Ah, see why creationists are rather dogmatic about the age of the earth? Why it's important? Exactly. Oops, let me go forward. So again, at the end, I'll just mention Creation Magazine. Even that, all that stuff came from the magazine. So you can see how you can keep up to date with these events. I briefly want to talk about these six days of creation because this is the area kind of within the church we get the most contention over. And I mentioned to you I was an evolutionist, so what I did is I, I kind of thought, well, maybe those, each of those days is a billion years each or something like that. And I thought I was pretty good when I found Second Peter 3.8, when it says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. Have you tried that one? Because if you go on, it says a thousand years are like a day, <laughs> right? What is that saying? I mean, that's obviously an analogy. And in context, it's not talking about creation. It's talking about the patience of God that is not willing that any should perish, you see? So what about the gap theory? Now, I would suggest that many of you here, my vintage and a bit older, were probably taught and had pastors who taught you from the gap theory, and that's because the Schofield Study Bible went through our seminaries in the 50s and the 60s and even into the 70s. And the gap theory was an attempt to put millions of years in Scripture. And if you're not familiar with it, I'll explain how it goes. We begin with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Put a big period there, and then verse 2 talks about the six days. But between verse 1 and verse 2, they inserted a gap of deep time. Millions or billions of years. Now, most people, lay people, when I talk to them about the gap theory... They don't know what I'm about to tell them. They've just been taught there's a gap. The reason uh, theologians tried to insert millions of years between verse 1-1 and 1-2 is because they had deferred to secular scientists, the non-Christian scientists, who told them, look, the earth is obviously millions of billions of years old. Look at all the rock layers. But then they had a problem. Because remember what I said in those rock layers? Fossils, dead things. But the Genesis flood is not till chapter 6. So how did they explain all the rock layers with dead things in them? They came up with Lucifer's flood. Did you know that? Let me just ask you, can, can anyone give me chapter and verse where I'd find Lucifer's flood mentioned in Scripture? Anybody? No, it's not in there. You know, when you add things into Scripture, that's called eisegesis. As a Baptist church, you are taught to test Scripture with Scripture, the correct hermeneutical approach. So let's do that. Okay, we go to Exodus 20:11, and let's read it. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. There's no period, there's no gap, and rested on the seventh day. So clearly the entirety of creation is in six 24-hour days. And by the way, I know they're 24-hour days in this context because I just read from one of the Ten Commandments. What does it say about those commandments? Inscribed by the finger of God in tablets of stone. Right up there with thou shalt not murder, shalt not steal, shalt not commit adultery. I mean, they're pretty important commandments, aren't they? And then the six days, the basis for our working week Right resting for one is enshrined by God's finger there in those tablets of stone given to Moses. See, there are all these different views, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to pick six of the most popular, okay, where people attempt to make it long periods of time. They say, well, it couldn't have been a global flood, right? Global flood couldn't have laid down all those layers. must have been local. But you remember in the dinosaur talk, I gave you the dimensions of the ark, you know, 462 feet long. Noah took... 70-odd years to build it, probably. I mean, why would he build this massive ship, take all that time to escape a local flood? 
because he could have packed a suitcase and immigrated off to another country in that time, couldn't he? Why were birds on the ark? Do you remember they kept releasing a dove, releasing it, couldn't find dry land, came back. Clearly the context was global. High mountains of that time were covered. Theistic evolution means, oh, God used evolution. He lit the fuse of the Big Bang, then kind of, you know, allowed it all to sort itself out. Organization in this country called Biologos, headed by a very famous man, Francis Collins, who President Obama appointed as the head of our National Institutes of Health. He founded that, claims to be a Christian, but God used evolution. They do not believe in a real or literal Adam and Eve. Uh, the gap theory I mentioned. Um, sadly, one of the most popular views in a lot of theological colleges today is something called the framework hypothesis. This is a view that Genesis is not meant to be taken as real, literal history, but it's kind of a poetic framework of truth so we can understand the nature of God and our need for salvation. And let me deal with this one. It's called the day-age theory. It's what I used to believe. You know, the days in Genesis might be long periods of time. Um, there's a ministry in this country, and I just mentioned this because, again, if you're excited about what you're hearing, just be careful when someone calls themselves a creationist as a group. Uh, reasons to believe Dr. Hugh Ross, we call them progressive creationists. He says the word day in English which is yom in Hebrew, he said, it can mean an indefinite period of time. Therefore, clearly, Genesis is talking about long periods of time with those days. You know, to be honest, that's a bit of a bait and switch, as we call it, because we primarily understand the meaning of words from the context they're used in. Let me give an example. You know, if I said to you, hey, it's great to be here with you this morning, come back tonight and we're going to discuss whether you know aliens can really fit in the bible so this evening make sure you come along so the evening and the morning i've just quoted you understand the parts of this day this 24-hour day but if i said to you something like well you know i just come from speaking at a homeschool convention in cincinnati you know it took me three days to fly from brisbane australia to cincinnati ohio how many 24-hour days did I just speak about? Not a trick question, by the way. Three, you automatically understand it because when I put a number in front of the word day, I just defined the context for you. It's called an ordinal. Three days. He's talking about 24-hour days. Evening and morning, part of a day. So let me change the context on you and it will become clear. If I said to you something like this, I want to tell you a story about something that happened back in my father's day. How many 24-hour days have I just spoken about? <laughs> Can you understand what period of time I've spoken about? No, I didn't define it. Okay, so, so yom, day, can mean different things. Let's see if we can work out the context in Genesis. I'll read it for you. Verse 5, God called the light day, darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, there was one day. We go on. Verse 8, evening, morning, second day. Evening, morning, third day. Now, are you starting to notice a pattern here, by the way? Evening, morning, fourth day. Am I starting to annoy you yet? Evening, morning, fifth day. Evening, morning, sixth day. But I didn't write it. <laughs> That's God's word. I mean, I suggest to you, if he wanted to define the context, could he have made it any clearer? Three definers mentioned six times over. And come, on, come along tonight because we're going to talk about the size of the universe. Billions of galaxies, all containing hundreds of billions of stars. He determines their number. He calls them all by name. Yeah, but he couldn't have created in six 24-hour days. <laughs> you know what this is really about, ladies and gentlemen? Did God really say? <laughs> Where have we heard that before, right? You know, outside of Genesis chapter 1 in the Old Testament, when we see the word yom, day, it appears with a number 410 times. Evening and morning without the word day, evening, morning with the word day. There are all these different combinations and it appears 523 times. And nobody ever questions any of those as anything but an ordinary day, except for Genesis chapter 1. Well, why is that? Well, science have shown the earth to be billions of years old. No, they just interpret geology incorrectly. That's where it came from. That's where it all started, ladies and gentlemen. 
Now here's the major issue and the point of the talk today. You see, here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And you know, on those days of creation, God said he saw what he had made and it was good and it was good. And we get to day six and he said, it's very good. Why is there a difference there? Well, the Hebrew term is called tov miod, which means perfection, completion, finished. Now, the only place, because we can clearly see that Adam and Eve only lived a few thousand years ago from the genealogies in the Bible, everybody tries to put the millions of years before Adam and Eve. But then there's a problem, right? Because the millions of years come from the rock layers. There are fossils in those rock layers. And according to evolutionists, that's a record of death and disease and suffering on the earth. So Adam would have been stood on this fossil graveyard that says, you know, and God looks down and says, yes, it's very good. <laughs> Death is not good, is it? Death stinks. You know, we've all been through a pretty difficult couple of years, not quite over yet. And we all, as I said, will endure trouble and have hardship. See, when we see bad things happen in the world today, that should be a reminder that something's wrong. Should instinctively make us call out to our Creator help you know just a few months ago i lost my brother in australia to uh, mesothelioma asbestos lung disease from when he was working as a young man and i couldn't go to australia to see him <laughs> i had to talk to him on the phone say goodbye you know and watch the funeral online but i understand why these things happen and i'm part of this cursed and for fallen world that God made. And why is it the way it is? Well, here's one of those New Testament passages, Romans 5.12, famous one we all know. Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men, will come to all of us, because we're all sinners and descended from Adam. By the way, let me just go back here, because I mentioned earlier the gap theory and this is the idea that lucifer fell between the gap and god judged the world with something called a lucifer's flood but when god saw all that he had made right it must include angels they are created beings so satan could not have fallen before day six of creation ladies and gentlemen the bible answers itself there is no gap theory to subscribe to uh, there so evolution, as I said earlier, says death's a good thing. You know, it gets rid of the weak, the strong survive, makes the species stronger. But it was our actions that caused the world to fall. I want you to think about this. God created a perfect world. He gave us everything we need. And we said, well, yeah, know who you are, God, but we kind of do things our way. I mean, that's what we're like. <laughs> and so God judged the world. So we should recognize what's wrong with it. But even though... I want you to think about this. This is God's creation. And even though we messed it up, he sends a rescue mission from heaven to pay the penalty of death that was due you and I. Well, wow. people want to know if God's a God of love. That's an incredible story of love, isn't it? It doesn't make sense unless we go back to explain where the problem started, why we're in the mess we're in. You know, that's commonly called, that act is called grace grace sometimes described as unmerited favor we got what we didn't deserve praise god well should we take genesis literally i submit to you if genesis is not real literal history with a literal very good creation with a literal adam and eve and if sin did not literally enter the world through their actions then you and i literally don't need to be saved from anything it's because of history the very reason that we need a savior and understanding genesis should help us understand what's coming in the future this is revelation 21 the second last chapter in the whole bible and it says god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes look there should be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things have passed away and here's revelation 22 the last chapter in the whole of the good book, in the midst, talking about the new Jerusalem, it says, there was the tree of life again. Did you realize that? And look, there shall be no more curse. What curse is it talking about? 
It's talking about the curse that entered back in Genesis chapter 3. So the very last chapter in the Bible is talking about the undoing of what went wrong. Our sovereign God, the fulfillment of his plan of salvation, a new heavens and a new earth. How can he do that? Because he did it once before. <laughs> and you know what? I don't even think it takes six days. Because so I read the book of Revelation. And behold, I saw a new heavens and earth. <laughs> and now if we want to make those days millions of years in length and add evolution and death and suffering into the Bible and say, well, that's the way God did it originally and we're talking about a restoration. Is he going to restore things back to millions of years of death and suffering? That's not much to look forward to, is it? <laughs> you can see theologically it's a problem. And let me just go back. Remember the rock layers with Adam and Eve? So I just want to make a point here. Even if you don't believe in evolution, but you subscribe, well, I think, you know, the earth is millions of years old. Remember, the millions of years comes from the rock layers. There are dead things in the rock layers. So what have we just done? We just put death before the fall. That becomes a gospel issue now. Hmm? Well... I mentioned earlier some of those surveys, Obama's survey. And you know, when I first, I've been in the States now for uh, 13 years, and when I first started going out to churches, particularly in the South, conservative churches, you know, parents, they look at their kids and their grandkids and they see them powering on in the youth group. And I'm just gonna be frank with you, we think we've got them for life. But that's not what the survey shows. Look, Southern Baptist's own figures, cross-denominationally. It's a holocaust in our churches, ladies and gentlemen. And so I thought, how am I going to help people understand? So in Atlanta, I took a film crew, just a small film crew, onto college campuses. And as I stood there, students came past. I asked them four questions. And you can go to creation.com forward slash fallout, that says, and you can watch a trailer there. And the first question was, were you raised in the church? And if they said no, we, we let those guys move on. We just wanted these young students who said they were raised in the church. And then the next question I asked was, creation or evolution, what's true? That was it. And out of the hundreds of students I surveyed, only five we found still said they believed in biblical creation. So the next question to both sets was when you were at home, in the church, did your pastors, parents, leaders, anybody show you the wealth of evidence we have today to show that biblical creation might be true? Ladies and gentlemen, every single student who was raised in the church and now believed in evolution said they'd never been shown anything. Those five students who said they still believe, guess what? Every single one had been shown information. And then the last question I asked was, do you still attend church today? And all those students who were raised in the church now believe in evolution, except for one young man, and we put him in the video to show we were not stacking the deck, no longer attends church today. The five students who said they were shown, believed, said they still attended church regularly. And you know, evolution was the key. The Bible's wrong in its first book. God's not creator. Or if he is, he's a cruel creator. Where does the truth begin in Scripture? I mean, science shows men don't rise from the dead. And what's interesting, when you watch later in the video, I asked them specifically, those kids that believed in evolution, I said, what is the number one evidence that makes you believe in evolution? And over 90% of them said, the rocks, the fossils, the rocks and the fossils. <laughs> and yet that is the easiest thing for us to explain as Bible-believing creations, because quite simply... If there really was a global flood, what would you expect the evidence to be? I expect to find thousands of meters of sedimentary layers all over the earth with dead things in them. Guess what we find? Thousands of meters of sedimentary layers all over the earth with dead things in them. And when you look at the evidence of those fossils, rapid, catastrophic burial, it's not slow and gradual. And that's why I said when Mount St. Helens, I saw that, that just took the scales off my eyes. Because if the rocks are not old, as I said, there's no time for evolution. So we don't get into politics. This is from a conservative website, but I do love what Dr. Mike Adams says here. He says, if Christianity dies in America, it will not be for a lack of the evidence of its truthfulness. It will be for a lack of the dissemination 
of the evidence of its truth and I, so I started off by saying we've got so much information. When I first started in creation, the creation group used to come out and they had about six books. <laughs> and you know, you've probably seen the display back there. Then that's just a fraction, that's just like the core materials we bring along. And there are other good creation organizations in this country too. We have more information today to support what we believe in this crucial foundational area than at any time in the church's history. But could I go down to your local library here and pick a book up on creation? No. And so that's why, as I said at the beginning, we come to churches. So I'm going to just mention some of the resources. Uh, don't forget our website, uh, 15,500 articles. I'd be surprised if you have a question. It's not on there already. Uh, the magazine I mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> now why? Because it's a glossy magazine with no advertising in it, People are not threatened by it. They pick it up, they read it, beautiful pictures, but then boom, hits them between the eyes. All that information they've never heard before. So I'll give you an example. This is the type of stuff you can read in there. Now this piece of volcanic rock, we know the age of it. When the rock solidifies and no more radiometric material goes in, the decay clock starts. So we knew the age of the, clock was uh, the rock was 50 years, and it got sent to a radiometric dating lab and came back with an age of 1.35 million years. Now, it's not a conspiracy going on. We're not anti-science. We love science. Don't get into the thing about, oh, I don't trust science. Historical science, evolution, very different, all right? So when they measure the amount of radioisotopes in it, that's real science. But again, it's how they interpret that data, okay, is the problem. And if somebody thinks fossils take millions of years to form, you could show them a picture like this. I hope you can make it out there. It's a fossilized teddy bear. <laughs> now, if somebody thinks that's millions of years old, you should probably call the funny farm. But anyway, obviously. Now, I've got one of these guys. They hang them in a cave in Yorkshire, England, and, uh, and they permineralize very, very quickly. So fossils, you just need the right set of conditions. You know... This information changed my life. We have a testimony database in our office, all the country shares. We have thousands of testimonies. Don't let anybody tell you that creation and evolution is a, a hindrance or it keeps people away. That's what the uh, theistic evolutionists like to say. This man wrote to us and he said, your work was very important for me becoming a faithful believer in the Bible. I was an atheist, convinced of evolution until a year ago and I started to listen to those crazy young earth believers, tried to disprove them, and here I am now, praise the Lord. He got information he never heard before. And I like this next one. It was uh, something I remember very well. My first tour back to my home country of Australia, this young man came up to me in a church, and all he kept saying was, thank you, thank you. And then he started to break down and weep. So that's kind of why I remember it. And I said, look, send me a testimony by email. And this is what he wrote. Thank you for your ministry. As a child, a family friend bought me a subscription to your creation magazine. I attended public school where evolution is taught, but with the information provided to me uh, through your magazine, my faith was never shaken by evolution. He said, I am now a Sunday school teacher, and my favorite topic is showing God's glory through creation. I attribute your magazine as a major contributor to the strength of my faith and my love of science and magazine. And what was interesting, notice somebody, a friend, a family friend, subscribed his family to the magazine. And that's what you can do today. In a moment when we pass the clipboards, parents, grandparents, maybe you've got children who are not in the faith anymore. You can write their address down and it'll just appear in their mailbox, a nice glossy magazine. That's all you can do. We can't save people, can we? It's not our job to save people because we can't, but we are called to be a faithful witness. So being a key issue, I encourage you. Magazine comes out four times a year. In a moment, they're going to pass around some sign-up sheets. And before they do, let me just tell you how it works. For one year, it's $29 for the print version. And what I'm about to tell you, we only do on ministry. We're going to give you the digital version for free as an incentive to sign up. Now, when you get the digital version by email, you can just click forward. Send it to your children, grandchildren, colleagues at work, somebody across the other side of the world. Knock yourselves out, share it. So for one year now, for $50, that's the two-year price, you get the current magazine, you take it away today, you get the digital version, and I'm going to give you a free DVD. 
and it's one of the documentaries we made where we retraced Charles Darwin's voyage on the Beagle. We went to South America and the Galapagos and we looked at the things that shaped his ideas and we asked evolutionists and creationists, if Darwin knew today what we know about science, would he have even been an evolutionist? Particularly when it comes to genetics and the complexity of the cell. Uh, as the salesman says, but wait, there's more. Okay, I'm going to give you another DVD. And that's that survey I did on college campuses in Atlanta. If you've got people who think creation evolution is a side issue, show them that. And with these students speak with their own lips the, most, the number one key issue that caused them to abandon the faith. All right, so you get two DVDs, the current issue you take with you, you take the gifts that are out there today. And the uh, reason we're doing it again to circulate is to save time. So tick one of the boxes, fill out your name and address. Don't forget your email address so we can send you the digital version as well. Okay, pass them along so everyone gets an opportunity to sign up. Take them out to the tables. I'll be out there as well and we'll give you a gift. Thanks, guys. While they're going around, let me just show you a couple of others. If you're new to this and you say, well, where do I start? The Creation Answers book, I kind of say every Christian home should have a copy because there's the 60 most asked questions on Genesis, creation, evolution. Where did the races come from? Here's one for you. How do we see distant starlight millions of light years away apparently if the creation is only thousands of years old? There are answers that fall right out of experimental science. And the book at the back, Refuting Evolution, deals with current U.S. high school curriculum on evolution. And both of those books have free study guides. We don't charge for any of our study guides. But you get three resources for the price of two in that pack. Geology. I've spoken a bit about geology. Geology is the culprit for millions of years. So if you can help yourself, and by the way, this, as I said, is an adult book in, describe, in disguise. Have a look through. If you can put the right set of glasses on with our children, the next time you're driving down the road through one of those road cuttings and you see all those sedimentary layers and those bands of strata, you go, oh, look, they suddenly see Noah's flood everywhere instead of millions of years. And that's why I commissioned that book. I edited that one. I co-wrote this one, Exploring Dinosaurs, same thing. Great pictures of dinosaurs fitting them in with Earth's history. And we have children's packs, elementary age packs, designed to be read to a child. There's one there called the Please Nana series. It's a real nana who wrote it and her granddaughter featured in it. And there's this one here. That book there, One Big Family, I co-wrote with my wife. And it's a children's explanation of, you know, where did the races come from? Well, there are no races because we're all descended from Adam, one human race, but why do people look different? So very, very easy explanation for them to understand. Now, if the stuff I've said to you today is kind of old hat, you've heard it before, this is the Rolls-Royce of creation books, okay? The Genesis account, 800 pages, a theological commentary on Genesis 1 of 11. It's got the science, it's got the history. I bet your pastor would love one, so yeah, there's a hint for you. And Geology for Adults, brand new book, first time I've had it on ministry. Biblical Geology 101, so you can grasp a handle. And the Genesis account is in a 12 DVD set, simplified. It's myself and five other speakers from my office, and we put it as 12 DVDs. So if you have Bible study or home groups, you can start with DVD one, pass it on and work through the series and there's a free study guide for you to be more informed. Because even though your heads are spinning today, as I said, I only scratched the surface. Uh, one more, this little booklet, a $4 booklet I co-wrote for students. Churches have been buying hundreds of this. It's called the Creation Survival Guide, how to basically graduate with your faith intact. It's basically giving our kids a heads up. This is what you're gonna hear in college. This is what you're going to expect, and this is how to deal with it. But it's just a little booklet, so there's not too much to read. And lastly, tonight, my claim to fame is uh, that book, Alien Fruition, my first book. And it's, uh, look there, it was an Amazon top 50 bestseller. It's the only creation book to, to do that. And I don't say that to boast, but to point out, this is a big topic, particularly amongst our teens today. 
and in the secular world, science fiction is the number one most popular entertainment genre with its stories of flying off to fantastic worlds elsewhere. And as we said, it was made into a movie which aired in over a thousand theaters just a few years ago. We've had incredible testimonies, salvation testimonies from that movie. So let me challenge you with a couple of things and dangle the carrot to get you along tonight. The whole idea that God created intelligent, sentient life on other planets, regardless of how big you think the universe is, is a problem for the gospel. And I'll work through the passages tonight to show you why. And you know, when I first started researching this, because it has got an evolutionary connection to it, which I'll talk about tonight as well, I end up meeting these people. Well, I saw something. And in churches, some of you here probably saw something you may have never had closure on. But there's a more sinister aspect to this. And that is millions and millions of people claim to have contact with alien entities. And how do you deal with that? When they give you their first-hand testimonies, I've now met hundreds of them. Well, let me say to you, something actually is happening to the majority of these people. But it ain't aliens. <laughs> it's something much more sinister and disturbing that's going on all around us. And you know what? We don't know about it because we have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit and basically Satan doesn't bother spending his time with us. But outside, somebody's never been in a church, loves science fiction, believes that evolution is occurring on all these planets all over the universe. They are absolutely ripe for deception. That's why the movie was called Alien Intrusion, Unmasking a Deception. So come along tonight and I will unmask it for you. And if we have time, if Pastor wants, I'm even happy to conduct a Q&A tonight if people have some questions as well. So thank you. I mean, I could talk for millions of years on this subject, but you probably wouldn't last that long. So I just appreciate it. And I just want to say thank you to Pastor and the team here and the worship team for setting aside your schedule so I could bring this to you. And hopefully you've understood why Pastor did that because he believes it's a really crucial issue for us to, to get a handle on. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you.